You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. So good to see you guys this morning. Um, If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jenna Vaccaro, and I am the Director of Hospitality. Um, Providence is a community of people formed around a simple vision, and that is to make the gospel of Jesus unignorable in our community. Um, So in order to do that effectively, we open the Bible every week because we believe God's word was given to us that we may know, worship, and obey him. Um, So this morning, we are going to be continuing on in a sermon series. We are actually going to be in um, pretty much until Advent, um, where we are walking through the book of Exodus. It is called Out of Bondage, is what our sermon series is called. And we have been examining um, God's covenant with his people and how he delivered them out of bondage and how that applies to us today. So if you have um, your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me. We're actually going to be in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14 this morning. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you do not have one, there should be one um, underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a copy of God's Word um, for your home, please take that copy with you as a gift from us today. Um, So if you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. I'm sure you are curious why our sermon series in Exodus started in Luke, and we will get there at some point. But I just want to welcome y'all in. I want to thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. Before we jump into it, I do want to mention if you've signed up for the men's conference, it's coming up this uh, Friday. And I'm going to be sending out an email later today with some kind of more information as far as arrival time and what all that looks like. But I would like you to come find me. I'm going to be out in, as we call the foyer out there, and I have a little gift for you before the conference. If you haven't signed up yet, I'd also love for you to come find me. If you're curious more information about it, I can kind of explain what we'll be doing at the conference and, and why we're having it and what it looks like. And I'd still love to get you registered. It's not too late. So if you signed up, please come find me. i got a little gift for you, and we'll get going from there. Um, so now on to... Uh, the book of Exodus. So we're covering kind of a big portion. This is why I decided to kind of read from Luke, so we're going to tie back to. But we're reading about the final plague. So we've been going in the story of Exodus through the plagues, and we kind of get to the final one here, which we're going to discuss in Exodus 11. And then we also have today to tackle the Passover as well. It's a very famous portion of Exodus there, very, very monumental moment. And so If you do the math, that's two chapters of the Bible. I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read a good amount of it as we kind of go through and kind of explain the story. So we'll kind of read and explain a little bit. But that's what we'll be covering today. And so this moment we're about to read today in Exodus, um, it's very 
important to understand this, to understand a lot of the Bible. The Bible harkens back to the story of Exodus, in particular the Passover, so many times. So often in the Word of God, when you see the mercies of God discussed, it's tied back to His mercy uh, for for His people, for the Israelites in the Exodus. And so this is a very crucial portion of text. It's very key to Israel's history as a people. This is truly one of the main events that defined them as the people of God and separated them amongst the nations. It's celebrated to some extent in everything they do, specifically the feast, uh, especially the Passover feast and some other things they do. It's sung about in many of their psalms. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll see the Exodus and you'll see the Passover mentioned several times. And it's just basically it's one of the major events when they talk about God's mercy throughout the scriptures. So there's a ton of references to the Passover. And it's very important to understand. So in light of that, I would like to start off this morning just praying together as we get into the word. And then we'll kind of start and kind of go through Exodus 11 and 12. So let's pray together and we will get there. Father, we <clears throat> take this moment to thank you for loving us. God, you've been so gracious to us. You've been so merciful despite all of the suffering and hardships we have faced as a people individually and together. God, you have always been with us. You have always worked things out for our good. You have always loved us. And it is your love for us that gives us hope and courage. It's not our love for you, which fades and comes, but God, it's your love for us. And so, This morning, we specifically want to thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has been sprinkled on the mercy seat for us so that now we stand before you, our God, our King, our Lord, as if we were not guilty. We stand justified by the one who is just, though we are undeserving. And so, Lord, this morning, we take a moment just to thank you and to say, help us. As we dive into your word, help us not to be distracted by worldly cares. Help the word, not the the seed planted by the word, not to be snatched by the enemy. But Lord, to, to land on good soil and to grow and produce fruit in our lives to your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So there's really, in order to cover Exodus 11 and 12 and not keep you here bleeding into the second service and it being a really long time, so whoever comes to the next service might have trouble because then I have more freedom because there's not another service coming. But for this service, I have to be succinct. So in order to do that, I got three major points I want to roll through in these chapters about the final plague and the Passover. And the first point we come to is that Hard hearts lead to death. Now, this is something Court covered a lot last week, actually. Uh, He went uh, to the book of Hebrews as well. There's a warning there that says, basically, don't harden your hearts like the people of Israel did after God rescued them out of slavery, and they went to the wilderness, and they hardened their hearts, and they all perished. And so there's been a lot of talk about the hardness of hearts, and you see this repetitive theme throughout the book of Exodus where you got Pharaoh, who's constantly hardening his heart, God, who's hardening Pharaoh's heart, right? And it's kind of this mixed thing there where God's doing it but Pharaoh's doing it and his heart is being hardened and being calloused over and over again and he will not let uh, the people of God go. He will not yield to God's demands because he has a hard heart. And what we're going to see in this final plague is that hardness of heart leads to death. This is why that warning in Hebrews is so scary where it says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness, right? 
but, but soften your hearts. Listen to the Lord. So let's read Exodus 11. This is kind of the threat of the plague. And it's a small little chapter here, but let's read it together. It says this, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So the final plague is threatened. Pharaoh, if you do not listen to God's commands, if you harden your heart once again, every, every firstborn in the land of Egypt is going to die. From Pharaoh, who's the ruler of all of Egypt, to the slave girl who has a firstborn child, and then all the way down to the animals, even the cattle, their firstborn child is going to be killed. The wrath of God is coming. This is a warning to Pharaoh and the people, do not harden your hearts. And you, you can tell they harden, right? Moses sees the reaction of Pharaoh, and it says he leaves in hot anger. Okay, Mara, uh, uh, Moses is probably fed up with Pharaoh, so there's probably some maybe unrighteous anger in there, but there's probably some righteous anger as well because there is compassion, right? We, we talked about this two weeks ago, but there's, there's compassion that the Lord is trying to bring here, but Pharaoh will not listen. He will not. He is hardening his heart. And this is all in the plan of God, right? But Moses stomps out. So the point is this, is that what we see in this final plague, what we see in the threat of this final plague is that when we harden our hearts towards the Lord, the eventual end is going to be death. The Bible speaks about this all over the place, right? Romans 3 says the wages of sin is death, right? So when we choose sin, we harden our heart against the Lord. There is no other possible conclusion but death. We believe that wholeheartedly as Christians. We don't believe, like some talk show people have made famous, that you know every human is kind of going up the same mountain and we all get there different ways, but we're all going to arrive at the top and it's going to be great. We don't believe that. We believe there's one mountain, one path up the mountain, and it's very narrow, and few people find it. That's what Jesus says about the path to eternal life. And so he's threatening this plague, and this is an intense situation. I want us to feel the weight of what's going on here. Now, obviously, you know, this is an example. It's just the firstborn that are going to die, but um, this is an example of what comes when we harden our heart. It is death. It's death. And another thing to point out here that's interesting, too, is uh, the cost of the children dying. And so not only when we harden our hearts do we bring imminent death upon ourselves when we harden against the Lord, but we also 
bring potential death to our children as well, right? And the people that we influence and all of those things. And so um, it's a bleak outlook here in this threat of the plague. You know, most of the plagues were pretty bad, but they were kind of inconveniences, right? It was, you know, you got flies and everything. You got darkness. It's really hard to see. There were very bad plagues, and they showed, as Court pointed out over the past couple of weeks, they showed basically that the gods of Egypt were nothing, right? And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's doing this, as it said in chapter 11, that his works might be multiplied in the land of Egypt, right? That his glory might be shown, that he might, it might be shown that he is the God of gods. There is no other God besides him. He is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He is everything, right? That's what he's showing here um, to the people. But um, this serves as a shining example for us what it looks like to harden our hearts. So the scriptures warns us, don't harden your hearts. We need to think this way, okay? This is why in, in the book of First Peter, uh, I believe chapter 2, he says basically like, uh, to watch out for sin, right? Because it's desires for you. It says it's basically it's going to destroy you. So he says flee from that, right? Flee from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul is the warning he gives. And so when we think about sin, when we think about, you know, as we maybe often say as Christians, I'm just kind of drifting from the Lord, right? Or we're kind of going back to our former sins. We need to consider the hardness of heart, what it leads to. And this should bring compassion, for people that have a hard heart, you know, when we see them. But there's a lot in here I want to say. Don't have time to say it. Uh, another thing to point out, which is just crazy, is God says, look, go ask everybody for silver and gold, and they're going to give it to you. And they do, right? And so basically, they, they've been, you know, slaves in this land, this harsh slavery for a long time. They've been crying and groaning, and God hears them, and he acts, right? He comes in. He's going to rescue his people now. And they're basically going to get their wages, right? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get the gold and silver. Now, we obviously know the story. They're going to use that to worship false gods anyways, and they get in the wilderness, and we got that story coming up. But it's kind of an interesting fact that God helps them to plunder the people as they're leaving. Um, And that's kind of what we see in 11 here. And so when we harden our hearts, it leads to death. Let's go on to the second one. This gets a little bit better here, okay? Okay. Point number two is that God delivers his people through the blood of a substitute. This is a theme throughout your entire Bible. This is the first really clear, but you get this from Genesis 3.15, right? There's going to be from the seed of a woman that's going to come and make it better, right? There's going to be a sacrifice. This is hinting towards Christ. And, um, but what we see here and what we learn in the book of Exodus is that God delivers his people through the blood of a substitute. This is such an important doctrine is that it takes blood, right? Leviticus talks about blood being the life of uh, a being, right? And how it's important that, uh, that blood must be sacrificed. Hebrews talks about this as well. Don't have time to go everywhere. But what I want to do is let's look at Exodus 12. And we're gonna, just going to talk in some interesting details. We're going to kind of go through a little bit of them. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit for the sake of time. But we are going to start in verse 1 of Exodus 12. Let's look at it here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count of the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then 
They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's skip down to verse 21 here. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs of yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, so there's a lot there, but I want to kind of break this down a little bit. So this is what God commanded them to do. Long story short, you guys know the story. If you've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, you get the gist, okay? What they were to do is they were to take a lamb and they were to sacrifice that lamb, take hyssop and dip it into the blood and sprinkle it on the the lintel and the doorpost outside the door. And God says, when I come through, with destruction, I'm coming to kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And when I see the blood, I will pass over your dwelling. And so there's quite a few things here, but let's talk about the substitute for a second. Because our, our point here is that through the blood of a substitute, God is going to deliver his people. So the substitute had to be a lamb, okay? It's the Passover lamb, not the Passover pig, not the Passover bird. It was the Passover lamb. That's what God decided it was going to be. It had to be a lamb without blemish or spot. So you're looking for not one with deformities, not one that had inconsistencies. It was to be a lamb that was, for all intents and purposes, perfect, okay? It couldn't be just that lamb that no one wanted anyways. You're not going to be able to eat or sell, so you use that one. It had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be a male in its first year. So this lamb is in its prime, okay? It's spry, it's young, it's not like the one that's going to die tomorrow anyways, you know, it's kind of like our dogs these days, because of technology, we can keep our dogs alive for a long time, and then you see some people's dogs, you're like, man, that thing needs, needs to go, okay, it's suffering. So you can't choose that lamb, okay, that's kind of limping around, and it's not, it had to be in its prime, okay, this is an important thing, because that means it had to be costly to you, okay, like this was something that you, you couldn't just lose willy-nilly. Like you can get rid of the weird goat, okay? But if it's the young lamb that's going to feed your family that maybe you're going to sell it to another family and make money, it's costly, right? And it's also got to be a worthy lamb of the sacrifice. 
And what they were to do is they were to separate this lamb for four, four days. So on the 10th day of the month, they would separate it for four days. And during that separation, they would actually take time to actually examine the lamb, make sure it really was without blemish or spot and was good to go. And it would kind of be isolated by itself. And then twilight, they would slaughter the lamb. And it gets a little graphic here, but basically um, they would drain the blood into a basin and they, and they would keep that blood, right? That's the blood they would use, and they would take the hyssop, they would dip it in the blood, and they would put it on the doorpost. They had to roast the lamb. You, you couldn't boil it. You couldn't eat it raw. You had to eat even the inner parts, all right? So it was just kind of like you eat the whole lamb, and you got to eat all of it. All that you don't eat, you got to burn in the fire, okay? If you can't eat it all, just burn it up. There's got to be no, no lamb left. All of it's got to be consumed, okay? And then basically from that, you also couldn't break the bones, uh, this is kind of a difficult thing. If you ever, I've, I've taken apart a few deer in my day. It's kind of hard to do that without breaking bones, but they had to be careful with the lamb not to break any of its bones, make sure it was all together. So there was a lot of details here is my point. So a lot of details with the lamb. It was very specific. God was like, you got to do all of these things just right. And if you do all of these things just right, the blood on there, it's going to be good to go. And there's, there's a lot of details. A few others just to mention is that they had to be ready to flee, right? Like this wasn't a rescue. They were going to take their time. It was like, you got your sandals on, to use the King James, your loins girded. Okay, you're ready to flee. You're ready to fly and get out of there, okay? And they also ate unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And so, you know, it takes time for the, the bread to leaven, uh, but they weren't going to have time for that. So he said, just get just unleavened bread is all you're going to eat. You're going to have bitter herbs. You're going to eat that along with the lamb, and then you're about to be ready to go. Okay, so this was the substitute that was needed for that. Okay, so it was a very specific substitute, very important substitute, and if they didn't do this properly, and it wasn't the right lamb, then they were going to be killed. And another thing to note, too, is that when they're fleeing, they also had, like, they weren't allowed to bring anything. Okay, they had basically, like, stuff in a little satchel, and that was it. So they're trusting God. We're going to flee into the wilderness, and you've got to provide for us, and that's going to be a theme later on as we go throughout the book of Exodus. Now, this is a simple question. You could probably answer it, but I want to ask the question, what separated, because God says, I'm doing this to make a distinction. So what separated the people of Israel from the Egyptians? There was one thing that did it, and that was the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house, the blood on the door. That was the only thing that separated them, okay? We talked about this before as we've been going through, but it wasn't their goodness, okay? Yeah, they had God as their God, and they had specific ways to worship him, but we see over and over again that these people that were rescued were wicked people. They longed for the gods of Egypt. As soon as they get in the wilderness, all they do is complain. They, they, they take gold, and they make a false god to worship and say, this golden calf that we have made, this is who rescued us from Egypt. This is our God. It says they've been longing to go back into slavery instead of to trust God for his provision. So it wasn't that the people of God were good. In fact, their hearts were very corrupt, like all of our hearts are. But it was the blood of the substitute, period. It was the blood that separated the people of Israel from the Egyptians. This is such an important distinction. As Moses will go on later to say, basically the only thing, right, that separates us from the nations is your presence, God, with us, right? It's God's presence with us that separates us. It's not any goodness of our own, very important gospel reminder for us to always know. And then what we're about to read now here is God is going to deliver his people. So let's start in verse 29 um, and let's see what happens here. 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for them. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Remember, God had promised that. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. We're going to stop. And then he goes on to kind of describe, because this was an instituted celebration. So to kind of give away where we're going, right, this is what Jesus is celebrating when he gives the uh, sacrament of communion, right? We just read in Luke, we're going to go back to that. They're celebrating the Passover together, so it was kind of instituted. But the point I want to make here is that God did what he said. This is one of my main points here, but, but God did what he said, right? Through the substitute, God delivered his people. Remember, it was 430 years before that that he promised. God promised, I will deliver you in 430 years. You're going to be in slavery. And then literally to the exact day, God, 430 years, delivers his people through the blood of a substitute. And God's works are multiplied in the land, and he is made glorious, Right? So what God is doing here, he's making himself known. He's showing his glory, his might, his control, his power, his worthiness. This is our God, the God of the Exodus. This is the God that we celebrate, and he delivers his people. Now, my third point and final point that we see here and should see as the people of God is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is our Passover lamb. This is the point of the Passover. Yes, it was a very real historical story of deliverance for a very real historical specific people, the children of Israel during that time in Egypt. But make no mistake, this story is also meant to be a foreshadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to be a shining example for us to look to, us to celebrate, us to rejoice. That is our God who delivers That is our God who is a bloody substitute for us. He sprinkles us with his blood that we might be saved. Now, there's two things we should probably consider, okay, when we talk about Jesus being the Passover lamb. One is, um, how do we know that's true? 
Okay, you might say, well, it seems pretty obvious. I heard it growing up in church, but I think we should let the Bible speak for itself a little bit, okay? And the second is, why is it important? Why is this important for us? And you probably know the answer already, okay? These are not, these are not deep questions that you wouldn't know the answer to, but I think for our encouragement, we should dive into them for just a minute. So, first question, how do we know that Jesus is the Passover lamb? Well, first of all, the, the, the word could not be more clear. One example, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, he's trying, trying to tell them to be holy. And here's what Paul tells them. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul and many of the New Testament writers speak very plainly about this. Christ is our Passover lamb. Okay, this is a joyous thing for us. This is a great moment. Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice. But we should also look at the nature of his life and death. Remember all those lists we went through about uh, what the sacrifice needed to be? Now you're going to kind of see all this tie into Christ here. And I'm not trying to be too extra biblical here, but let's just go over a few things. One is, remember we said it had, it had to be a lamb, right? That sacrifice, the substitute had to be a lamb. When John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him for the first time, here's what his proclamation is. John 1, 29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? And right when he sees him, the spirit witnessing in John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, this is the one I've been telling you about. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal. This is him. He's the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We said it had to be a lamb without blemish or spot. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He ties it perfectly into the story. So he says, look, we have not been ransomed, which means to be bought back, right? Um, we've not been ransomed by things like silver or gold. It's the precious blood of Christ. And he's like that, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He's perfect, right? Think about Christ. The Bible says he was tempted in every single way that we are, yet he was without sin. He's the perfect, the only worthy substitute for us. There's no other way of deliverance. Apart from the precious blood of Christ, we are dead, right? God enters the house and will destroy us. The wrath of God aimed at us apart from the blood of Christ with the hyssop dipped and sprinkled on the door of our hearts, right? He is the perfect lamb. It says it was to be a male in its first year, so in its prime, right? Jesus no one took his life from him, right? He laid it down freely, but he did it in his prime. He was like in his early 30s, okay? You might say, I was in my prime, you know, for those of you who are in your 30s, you might say, well, my prime was definitely my 20s. But the point is, is that he was young, all things considered, right? He was. He was young, all things considered, and he gave up his life. He didn't wait to the end where you're like, oh, he probably would have died anyways. No, Jesus gave up his life on the cross as a worthy substitute, without blemish, in his prime, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was slaughtered on the Passover. This, I mean, this is crazy, right? He, he comes to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples the night before he is, I mean, this is the Passover's done, right? That was like the last celebration of the Passover until 
He becomes the official Passover lamb and fulfills that role once and for all. Therefore, we no longer, every other celebration of the Passover in the old way is just meaningless, right? Because now Christ, the real thing, is here. That's what he's showing us. And so he was slaughtered just like the lamb was slaughtered. His blood was poured out just like the lamb was poured out. Um, we said it needs to be slain by spilling the blood and no bones broken. John In John 19, John is wanting to be very particular to show us this, and here's what he says. He says, since it was the day of preparation, this is Jesus already on the cross with the two criminals, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And it quotes right here. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. I mean, it's just amazing as you read the Bible more and more. It like widens as you kind of get further and further into it. And you realize, I am lost in this thing. I don't know a thing about the Bible, right? It's crazy. But this, it's just amazing, the intricacy of God. Not only in the story of Exodus, when it was exactly 430 years, and God did all these things to show his greatness, his power, and his might. And this should have bolstered the, peop- the people of Israel, their confidence in our God. He did what he promised, right? And then now we see that even crazier fulfilled in Jesus Christ, a repeat of the Passover. He is the Passover lamb slain for the sins of his people. This is amazing for us. This is our hope. This is why we rejoice. This is why Paul says we can be always rejoicing, yet always in sorrow, right? Well, how does that happen? It's the paradox happens because of the blood of Jesus that covers us. So in life, in death, in suffering, in joy, it is the blood that distinguishes us. It's the blood. That's it. So I'm kind of answering the question, but why is it important? Why is it important that, and I guess I've got a few things I want to say here. Um, like I said before, the book of Exodus is a glorious story of God's deliverance. Within itself, in the historical context, it is a glorious story of deliverance, but it is a foreshadow of Christ's deliverance. Just as Israel was subjected to cruel slavery under, under Egypt, we are also subjected, and I might add willingly, to cruel slavery under sin. We're not just victims of sin. We're also perpetuators of sin, okay? It goes both ways for us, so maybe a little bit different. But um, just as Israel longed for the fleeting pleasures of Egypt when they got stuck in the wilderness, we also long for the fleeting pleasures of this world despite our forgiveness in Christ. Just as um, the Egyptians cried out with loud groanings because of the devastation that was wrought by their hardness of heart, so we cry out with loud groanings at the devastation of our hardness of heart that we see that it brings. I mean, could you imagine it for a second? Could you imagine being there in Egypt during this moment, right? You know the wrath of God is coming. You know there is going to be death and destruction in every single household in the land of Egypt. And the only thing separating you from that wrath, that death, that destruction, is if the blood was sprinkled on the door. 
I, I mean, I just imagine in Israel there's some anxiety there waiting for that, but it's just the lamb, right? It's just the lamb that separates us. Brothers and sisters, that is the situation you find yourself in right now. There is the wrath to come because of our sin, our shame, our rebellion against our God, and it is aimed at every single heart, right? The wrath of God will destroy, but there's one thing, one thing abating the wrath of God, and that's God himself slain as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It is the blood of Christ. You guys know the old songs, right? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I love that song. It goes on to say that the dying thief right on the cross, he rejoiced to see the fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. You're welcome for not singing that for you, okay? I'm not going to do that. Leave that up to Brendan maybe, but it's the blood of Christ. Oh, to be passed over, right? To be passed over. It's such a joy. The wrath of God, you deserve it. You've been passed over because the blood of Christ slain before the foundations of the world for you, his people. That's why we sing. That's why we rejoice. That's why we say, Lord, help us not to sin and shame the sacrifice you've made. Let us walk in righteousness and holiness. Let us walk with you. We need to hear it this morning. Don't return to your former slavery. Flee to Christ. Flee to him. Because it's in his blood that we have life. It's in his blood that we are delivered. It's in his blood that we are clean. We're clean. I know I've been giving you a lot of scriptures. I'm sorry. But Romans 3, 21 through 26 says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here it is, whom God put forward as a propitiation, it's a substitute, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We are justified, not guilty in Christ. So 